Hi, my name is Yasmin Tarehi, and this is Startup Confessionals, where we interview startup founders and entrepreneurs in the Middle East region and Africa. We will learn about some of the biggest lessons these founders discovered on their journey from the personal to the professional and share how they keep themselves motivated. Today's episode is with Mazen Elvarab. He's the founder and chief growth officer of Zid. Zid is a Riyadh-based Shopify-like e-commerce management startup that helps people and businesses set up their online stores. Founded in 2017 by Mazen, he's a serial entrepreneur who has previously founded and led different companies before Zid. Mazen is passionate about e-commerce in the MENA region, and he's on a mission to enable thousands of retail brands with the power of modern retail. So Mazen, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, absolutely. Thank you for having me, Yasmin. So Mazen, can you actually share your value proposition in your words with our audience? So um, in Z, um, we try to enable our retailers with the power of uh, digital in general. So um, basically, we in, in, in region like ours, uh, retailers used to have this old mindset of selling by opening shops. E-commerce is, get, is picking up uh, lately very nicely in the region. So a lot of retailers are thinking of, uh, or we're thinking of uh, transiting uh, transiting to online selling. Our value proposition is simply to smoothen that uh, transition for them by not only of, um, providing them with the technology, which is, I would say, important part, but only integrating them with, with the ecosystem players like shipping, payment, and service providers. So they would be able to uh, continue their journey in selling online and uh, expand their businesses. And why did you start this company? Why did you want to solve this particular problem? Uh, it's funny because before that, I used to have uh, an agency, a digital uh, mobile and development agency. And we used to do uh, a lot of professional services, helping those retailers and building technologies for them. And... Um, one thing that we've seen lately, and that wasn't back in 2012, a lot of people are starting to ask, can you guys help us to build a store, web stores, online stores? And um, through three, three years of our work, we uh, we helped, uh, we did around 12 e-commerce projects. None of them were able to, to generate any orders. That was frustrating to me because I got my money, uh, and we delivered the project. However, uh, deep inside, uh, it was weird. Why they did not sell? Why did not they, they uh, started online and start selling? Uh, although they've paid uh, for this uh, solution, and that actually uh, helped us to start uh, thinking about how what's the problem. What we found after uh, that was back in 2016. It's not only um, the reason why they didn't sell uh, that they didn't have their online stores. Uh, the reason was they had the website. However, it wasn't integrated with any payment gateways. Mm. Uh, they were struggling finding a shipping company suitable for them. Uh, that time, prices of shipping companies were skyrocketed. And they lack the digital marketing knowledge of how to market and uh, sell or reach their online customers. They thought it's similar to the stores. If they opened the stores, people would come. Uh, I wish that was the case in online commerce. Uh, actually, in, in 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 online, if you open your store, it's like opening a shop in, in the middle of nowhere. Uh, <laughs> you have to drive traffic to it. So a lot of uh, offline retailers would not realize this until they, after three months of their online uh, kickoff, they would see there's no traffic, uh, there is no sales coming. They would uh, normally 
slow down their investment in online or they would shut it down. So we thought if we want to continue, why not to productize this service and offer it in an easy manner and targeting different segments and uh, um, make it affordable. And here comes the power of uh, software as a service. We bring that uh, solution to as much as retailers we could at that time. And we developed our product based on the market's needs and uh, the requests that we received. Uh, as I said earlier in the, in the intro, we did not only offer the technology because that was easy, but uh, the value proposition is what comes after the technology, which is the integration with the third party solutions, plus the education and enablement part, which is also a very important factor for their success. That helped us to reach today around 5,500 customers uh, all across uh, Saudi Arabia and GCC. Wow. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I think Shopify spent a lot of time integrating with different apps rather than, I believe, building proprietary solutions for what I think you're proposing, which is the driving traffic to sites um, and generating leads. So I'm I'm really impressed by the solution that you created. How much of an inspiration was uh, something like um, Shopify for you when you were building your product roadmap? Did you you know, look at it as a kind of a version of what you wanted to create, or did you start kind of from the beginning and look at the region, the Middle East region separately and build from there? Actually, uh, the success of Shopify inspired us. Uh, seeing someone who did it and proved the model, it helped you a lot. And in, 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 I would not say copying and pasting only. You cannot just copy and paste, especially in the region, in the MENA region. Our region is quite different in terms of uh, the offers, the offering. Um, the maturity also of the retailers are different. The market is quite different. So uh, definitely we used them as, or we looked at Shopify as an inspiration and uh, we saw their steps. And uh, especially if it's a listed company, they would publish a lot of stuff publicly out of public. So you can uh, see the numbers, growth, etc., and start comparing, not per se, but at least to give you an indication on how those guys are thinking strategically about the product. We found some similarities and we found some stuff that we, need to, we needed to build for, for the region. I'll give you an example. When the VAT, the value add tax, was added for Saudi merchants, a lot of merchants who used, I would say, ready-made e-commerce solutions like Magento, WooCommerce, etc., or who, who were using uh, platforms like Shopify and Equid, they found it really hard to develop a custom development for this to comply with the, law, the legal uh, e-commerce law. Because at that time, the e-commerce law mandated everyone to add the details of VAT as mandated by the government in each website. We took the lead and developed that. It was a great value add for our merchants, so they would become compliant uh, with the regulation without any issue. One another example is after COVID, what we've witnessed is the jump in activation in digital uh, payment in the region, especially with local networks like MEDA in Saudi Arabia. MEDA and, uh, is, uh, is the, uh, I would say, the debit card network for all Saudis. More than 14 million Saudis have MEDA cards. So people who used only international uh, players would not be able to process this kind of payments. However, in our region, if you build this and make sure that people with this card or with this network would use it, you would gain a lot. So if you would just take the model as is, it might not help. 
uh, that being said, um, a lot of inspiration, learning from a technical perspective and also from a community building perspective. You mentioned, Yasmin, the app market, which is a great way how Shopify enabled the community. We launched in early this year uh, a developer community uh, and app market. Uh, within less than two months, 170 developers registered. I was in total shock. Uh, I would never thought we have that much developers in the region. <laughs> but again, uh, you would be surprised how markets and players would take uh, would take you in this, re- in this region. So Mazen, I want to um, go back to, you know, this the COVID and the pandemic and how that may have affected your business. I imagine that e-commerce slowed down quite a bit last year. You know, how do your priorities shift based on where your company is at and how do you troubleshoot when you are facing adversity? Uh, in our case, and especially in Saudi Arabia, uh, some retailers faced something that uh, they've never faced in, during this, their existence, which is the close down of shops in the retail sector. So the full lockdown forced those retailers to expedite their online, I would say, or digitization efforts. Uh, A, they have time. Uh, B, they have the resources. All the resources of the company is willing to now go online. So our issue at that time during the epidemic was how to cater for this demand. Uh, We worked in three shifts. So the company actually did not sleep, trying to enable as much as we can providing those people with technology and not only technology solution, which is the, the basic thing, but also trying to help them how to continue selling while in the epidemic. Luckily enough, in Saudi Arabia, the e-commerce uh, option was was the only option for uh, consumers. So people started to sit at home buying stuff that's really weird. Like, for example, I still remember the figures. Uh, the number uh, three top hot categories in Z stores at that time was fitness and uh, games, the card games and uh, the other stuff, and then food and beverages. So um, those in the normal days would not be the top three. But during that epidemic, uh, uh, we saw a lot of people rushing and opening their stores. My favorite example here is a company who started to sell ice cream. They were founded 30 years ago, and they all their sales were only to grocery shop. They would never thought to to target the end consumer. In the epidemic period, they open up their stores, online store, and starting delivering ice cream to people. I thought this would go away after the epidemic. Luckily enough, they're still selling today and they are one of top our top 100 merchants. Wow. So these kind of examples uh, inspires you and tell you that, yes, the epidemic was, was unfortunate for a lot of people. However, for... For our sector or for our business model, it forced a lot of uh, uh, retailers to go online, not by choice, but by force. And then after the epidemic, they we were uh, afraid that they will shut it down, but uh, they continued. Wow. So interesting and so fun. <laughs> I love that. So what kind of, um, you know, in terms of adversity that you may have faced, uh, even beyond just the pandemic, what are some ways that you motivate yourself to kind of stay uh, grounded in the face of raising money, of you know, uh, talking to your customers, building your product roadmap? How do you, I guess, emotionally regulate this, the journey that you're on? We've talked to a lot of founders, and oftentimes there's a little bit of a roller coaster. So how do you kind of self-regulate? 
Yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, I mean, that's the destiny of any entrepreneur. Uh, if someone decided to become an entrepreneur, especially an entrepreneur with a with a uh, with investors' money or a public company, even this will put more. Uh, I would not say pressure, but more responsibilities on your shoulders. You need to deliver, of course, and delivery means that you you would hustle until you figure it out. Our challenges in each stage of a startup were different. So, for example, during our first round in the setup, the challenge was how to get our first 10 employees, how to convince people with an idea that has not been born yet. Trying to be the salesman, not for your product, but for your vision, it's something that a lot of founders really found it hard to do. And I actually found it very hard to do at the beginning. So how can you, for example, sit with Yasmin or sit with Sultan and tell him, hey, look at this. And when he, he asks you for a number or they ask you for numbers, you'd say, we do, I don't have really numbers, but I believe this is the future. This is one hard thing that uh, a lot of entrepreneurs face and I face it myself. Then fast forward during the product market fit, how to find the right customers. You will be, uh, I would say, exposed to do everything. You can do everything, but is it right to do build everything in the product or to focus on what matters? So, how to talk to the customers, validate the idea, being able to, to I would say, uh, push to the market a product that you will uh, three years from now you would say, how on earth I was able to publish this product that that is not fully designed or fully fully featured product without feeling ashamed. This is another thing that I found it really challenging. And then later, how can you really uh, build a product and a company that people trust and pay for it, pay for the service that you are giving and continue paying? And this is a challenge for all SaaS companies. It's not only about acquisition or acquiring new customers, but also how to keep your customers happy. That's a big challenge. Uh, One thing I've learned the hard way, uh, sometimes you just need to spend good regular time with your talking to your customers, even if you are not hearing from them the good stuff. So for me, for example, I'm exposing all of my contact information online. So any unhappy customers or any any feedback I would love to hear. Uh, I like to hear the bads more than the goods, to be honest. And then uh, one thing I've, I've seen in, in our company culture is how to, to make not only the numbers of the customers or the performance, but also hearing from them to build our roadmap. That's a very important uh, thing. Uh, they know the better uh, the product better than us because they are the users. They, they are the end users. As I said, we have 5,000 use cases or merchants who are using our product differently. Uh, if you sit on your uh, desk and look at Google Analytics, for example, or any tools, they will just give you numbers. They will not tell you how those people are using the product and how are they what are the pains that are seeing or facing during uh, their use? This you will never get until you sit with them, talk to them, build partnership with them. That's why building a community of your users is not a fancy thing to do. It's a, it is a core thing for your uh, product and it's helped us big time. So there's so many things that you said about your journey that are really intriguing to me. I, I'm also curious how many of your customers were first-time e-commerce players uh, or existing e-commerce players that moved over to your uh, platform you know what is what was that like do you really empower people to become 
uh, an e-commerce store online who are new to the system? Or uh, have you seen people kind of like existing and then shift to your services because it's better? We have uh, examples or uh, um, personas for each uh, one of the you mentioned the Yasmin uh, type of customers we, we see. So if we break down the customers who's, who are using that today, we have the offline retailers who wants to start online or to expand online. So for example, uh, a good chunk of our merchants, I would say more than 30 to 40% of them, usually uh, have an, an offline presence, have branches, and they want to get online. Uh, this is our core segment. Uh, and then we have what we call them the digital native uh, online brand, the assets alike, where uh, we found retailers who built an entire retail brand out of the internet only. So they don't have any offline presence. They started their first experience retail with us. And we have some examples, people who used to be a, a retailer, offline retailers, but for their new brands, they would do it only online. So the digital native uh, segment is, is growing. And lastly, is uh, what you've mentioned, Yasmin, people who are who used to have to be online and they were using e-commerce and then they shifted to that uh, because either they are unhappy with the existing players or because they see so values in Z as a solution that they could not find with their uh, current offering. Um, and for that particular uh, segment, we found, for example, uh, good chunk of users come and register because the experience either in managing the store or buying from our stores is really smoother than the uh, normal e-commerce experience. So we have a good cohorts on each those type of segments. The percentage uh, changed changed, uh, changed uh, throughout the time. For example, in the epidemic during co- uh, the COVID period, we saw a, a great increase in the number of stores who used to have offline stores, for example. And uh, that is that was predicted because, as I said uh, earlier, uh, they were forced to do that. They were they have no choice other than opening uh, uh, um, online stores. Um, so basically, um, I would say they are in different uh, formats and forms, and we have good mix of all of them. What about Mazen? Um, your journey with raising money. You know, what was that like? I think what's so interesting is that when you're talking about your product market fit and like hiring your, actually before that, like hiring your first set of customers. I imagine that in all parts of the journey, you've had to kind of uh, persuade, convince people <laughs> first without numbers and then later with numbers. Um, and so, what was that like? You know. How did you raise your first round and has it gotten easier or harder? We started quite earlier, late 2016, uh, we're the pilot, 2017, we're the real start. We start bootstrapping the company until we figured out, I would say, our initial uh, product market fit. So I funded the company myself at the beginning as a bootstrapping. Then when we went for our pre-series A, I still remember, I mean... uh, one thing that people undervalue uh, in the region is the number of failures and uh, how many startups that you've done before. Uh, it's very important to be known that you are uh, you are known when you send an email that people knows you. So luckily enough, we met with a good number of investors during our pre-series A. And one thing that we've learned the hard way is interest from an investor doesn't mean that they will open their checkbook and write a check for you. 
that's pretty old. Maybe they, they, they will not tell their accounting team to wire transfer the money. Even if you are known or if you have previous successes, yes, it might make it easy to get to get a, I mean, an interview or to be looked at. However, your numbers, your performance, your attitude as a founder and co-founder would be the the focus, especially in I would say early stages, pre-series A, seed stage, towards uh, series A. Um, then comes later on other metrics, which is very important, uh, the unit of economics, how are you doing in terms of acquisition, retention, the other, uh, even how how are, how good are you in attracting talents who are smarter than you and more experienced than you? This, in, this becomes now a challenging uh, also aspect in the region and in every region, I believe. So every stage and every fundraise has its own I would say uh, difficulties in the early stages. You would probably focus more on showing the product market fit, uh, your ability to, to move this product from a product to a company. How can you think of the company strategically later? Are you listening or not? And this is important also aspect uh, because if you are bringing someone to share with you the company's uh, equity, you have to uh, listen, not just to take their money. And this is something uh, very important. Uh, and um, how can you build a team uh, around the product, not just uh, a product with uh, uh, with a nice idea? So um, it is challenging, uh, especially when you go when you progress in the down the road. Um, number of VCs in the region is increasing. However, number of VCs who can write big checks are not that enough, I believe, in the region. So. Uh, uh, it's a good opportunity for any international investors to come and look at, I would say, startups at stage B, C, and uh, uh, forward. And this is a, a challenge that we have still. Yeah, super interesting. What about, uh, you know, kind of the biggest learning that you had for your own growth? What do you wish you knew earlier when you started this? I've actually so many more questions, but <laughs> I think this one would be really, you know, inspirational for people um, who think that people just, you know, know everything when they start these companies. Um, you know, I imagine that you made mistakes along the way. So what do you think was something that you wish you knew or that was a big learning for you? I would say, um, um focusing on um, not only building a product, but also building a product that actually gets you customers. That's a very important aspect. And you would never know that by sitting in, in your office and coding or uh, designing or sketching. Your, uh, but absolutely, you learn it by going out of the building and uh, meet customers and genuinely listen to them. Uh, and this skill is very underrated among the founders, being able to pick up the phone and talking to a customer and getting their feedback genuinely without being defensive, without, uh, I mean, being uh, <laughs> neglecting your ego or everything is very important aspect, especially early on. It took me and the team a while to get it done. Alhamdulillah, now I would say, uh, I would say if you master this, then you will be able to not only give your customers what they want, but also you can uh, predict what they will need. In, in the coming uh, future. This is a very important thing. And then one thing that uh, that's really important is the value of looking at numbers and uh, using it to help you to figure out the past and relying on it, uh, not 100%, but mixing it with your gut as a founder to take 
I would not say bold moves, but uh, more calculated risk. This is something we usually founders are not comfortable looking at numbers, crunching them, trying to to work with them. Like I remember, for example, in 2016, I'm uh, if you want to torture me, tell me to work on numbers on Excel. Uh, today, today, <laughs> today, for example, um, uh, I, I can do a lot of things with Excel. I mean, this is an amazing. Uh, but again, uh, Excel, uh, uh, to give you the realization, founders are very, sometimes they rely on their guts big time, which is important. But also you need to marry that with, with some insights from your performance and numbers, uh, along with talking to customers. Those are the, I would say, the very most important learning. Thank you for that, Mazen. It's very inspirational. <laughs> I love how you're underscoring the idea of humility um, and being really humble when talking to your customers, because I think that is such a powerful point uh, for a lot of people, um, really like talking to your customers, spending time with them, not having a, a conclusion going into these conversations and really meeting everyone at their level of technical knowledge, of understanding. And so... I think that's great. Uh, what's been the most maybe exciting thing about your product and roadmap? Maybe, you know, something that you're working on today or something you're planning to develop if you feel comfortable sharing. And how do you find new ideas for innovation, like to ensure you're on the right track with your customer base? Uh, well, I mean, uh, one one goal is, as you mentioned earlier, Yasmin, uh, our goal is to, to help uh, those retailers to move to the modern retail. So I believe retailers were traders, then they moved to the normal uh, retail, which is using some technology, a bit of technology to help them. And now is the era of modern uh, retail, I would say. Um, the modern retailer is a retailer who are who is enabled with technology and with data and with all the solutions around them. So he will use the power of integration, for example, for all of his systems to be able to make informed decision, not uh, decisions that he needs to wait until the end of the year or end of the quarter to figure out. He can take actions or they can take actions, uh, he or she, I mean, they can take actions immediately on the spot. They are um, They can manage everything from their iPads and they can really utilize this uh, the power of the modern uh, retail. Uh, in order for us to enable them, this is nicely uh, put in terms of marketing, but for us to do that from the back end side, you will need to not only build one thing, you need to build one thing and make it integrated. And uh, uh, I would say talking to other systems with a smooth uh, way technically and from a product perspective, and then simplify it for the end customer from a UX standpoint. So what we are trying to do today is that we are in a very, in a journey that we try to integrate as much as we can. That's why we opened or we launched our uh, uh, app market early this year. We have now around 35 apps with the aim of moving to 200 by the end of the year. So this will help the integration element and uh, bringing everything in one place. Second is how can we really not just uh, be hands-off from the customers, but how to to, uh, to solve the problems that the region has. For example, we've launched ZipShip, which is a shipping solution for the region. Uh, I can speak for hours about shipping issues in the region, but the goal was to help retailers to, to have a pleasant uh, experience with shipping. Uh, and that was available for our merchants by simplifying the process and the management. 
again, with the, very soon we will, are going to launch our payment uh, solution, which is ZPay, in, in partnership with a very lead in, in a leading with a leading um, payment uh, provider, where we also jointly work together to provide a pleasant uh, or a very great experience and payment for both merchants and the customers. Why we are doing that? To achieve this cohesive and integrated uh, experience, which would help merchants to less worry about their technology and e-commerce technical work and focus more on how, uh, how, on how they can increase their sales, market their products more. Wow. I love that. It seems like you guys are becoming this like one-stop shop solution for all things e-commerce. Exactly. Um, that's amazing. <laughs> we are taking it one step at a time to make sure that we are offering something that works. Right. That's beautiful. You know, I remember one time I worked um, on a payment, uh, I guess it's like a payment terminal, and we had to also build uh, or offer uh, third-party apps on our platform. And I think sometimes like there's a level of curation that is really important as well, like being able to discern like which apps should be on there, which developers we trust, and also guiding the merchants to make the decisions that I think are beneficial from them. Um, and the way that this was described to me was similar to the the iPhone when it first came out or the smartphone really when it first came out there were only a handful of apps and then over the years numbers of uh, hundreds of different apps actually thousands of apps came out and so i think people needed to be guided a little bit more uh in this process rather than just be inundated with so many different types of applications on the platform. So it's, it's just an interesting journey, right. To, to kind of, um, contemplate like what should be included on there and, and offer creating an ecosystem that makes developers excited to build on it. <laughs> so that's cool. Um, Mazin, as we're wrapping up, can you tell us what is your main takeaway? Maybe it's on the future of e-commerce globally or in the region. Maybe it's on how you keep yourself motivated. What's kind of the last thing that you want to tell our audience? If there is some uh, one thing that's really underrated as well in building startups is the investment in the team and building the right culture for the startup. Uh, a lot of people think the culture is something you buy. Uh, bean bags and uh, free lunches or happy hours. However, it's something really important, especially when the company is at a growth stage. Usually, new people comes in not only in the uh, in the entry level jobs but also in the senior level jobs. They will affect the company culture if you hire fast and you don't really make sure that the um, attitude of those uh, new joiners on the senior levels. Uh, is not fit with the company culture. We saw great companies with great products. Uh, however, they could not sustain and maintain themselves through the hard times. Why this is important, especially in our region, uh, if it's important outside, then it's double the importance in our region because the challenges in, in our region is uh, is unique sometimes and it's different. That's why having a team and the culture of the company of that you build and uh, nurture throughout the years will help you to survive the hard times, will help you to double down on the good times, and it will help you to have a value proposition later on against any other competition or even uh, international players who got into the region. 
I love that so much. Mazin, what a great takeaway. I think that's true across the board for so many companies. And unfortunately, they kind of look at culture as like the last thing that we can like outsource someone to help on, (laughs) to help with, right? As opposed to it being such an integrated part of the company and the business and the operation. So that's so powerful. (laughs) It says a lot about who you are as a leader as well and, and how contemplative you are. So... Thank you so much for that. And Mazin, are there any resources that you can point folks to in order to learn a little bit more about you and about Zid? Where can people uh, learn more about you? I'm quite active on Twitter. Uh, So Twitter is my main, I would say, uh, echo for my ideas. uh, And I blog sometimes in my blogs, Mazin DTSA. For Zid, we have a a very interesting blog and a YouTube channel where we host uh, our merchants, have interviews with them and uh, webinars. So I would also highly advise people to check out our uh, YouTube. It's all in Arabic. We believe uh, um, that Arabic content is is, is very, uh, um, in a very, uh, da- in, in danger, I would say, uh, compared to English uh, uh, content. Not a lot of Arabic, and this is something we found lately, not a lot of Arabic-speaking countries have uh, knowledge of English. That's why we focused mainly on Arabic first, then we translate to English uh, our content. So this is mainly the outlets, um, Twitter and my blog, and also uh, uh, Zid's blog and uh, YouTube. Amazing. And we'll include those all in the show notes so that people can find them. Thank you so much for your time, Mazin. It was a pleasure. Me. Oh, it was a pleasure as well. And... For our audience, thanks for joining and for listening to Startup Confessionals. 